keep going. Welcome back to the Keep Going podcast. We live in a world where the old gods have seemingly been tamed by the one god. And for the last 100 years, the twin lords of order, reason and science, have declared the one god dead. But those of us who run know there is something deep and mysterious about the marathon distance. It seems to be a strange attractor, pulling anyone remotely interested under its spell. And if there's an old god attached to the marathon, Boston would be its primal home. It may seem strange to talk of old gods attaching themselves to a city, but Boston has always had a very witchy past, with Salem less than 20 miles away. But before you start thinking this episode is going to head down an occult path, rest assured, it's more love and light than dark and twisted. Because as we dive into here, the Boston Marathon's 127-year history is deeply magical. Join us as we get vulnerable, tapping deeply into the myth and mythos of the world's most storied and special marathon. It's my pleasure to bring to you the episode we call That Old Boston Magic. All right, guys, what are we talking about today? Boston Marathon 2023. Yeah. yeah. I keep calling it the Bobstown Marathon. <laughs> Bobstown. Why Bobstown? I don't know. Just get, I got it in my head and I can't get it out. Bobstown Marathon. <laughs> my new nickname for it. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's Bean Town. What was it called? A Bean Town sometimes? Yeah. Bean Town. That was cool. It was uh Michael and I were there. Mm-hmm. Um and John, you were there in our hearts. You the our this podcast was discussed rather uh rather consistently with the Telos crew that we were hanging out with. Yeah. They were it's like, a hot topic of discussion. It was definitely a hot topic. Everybody wanted to talk about different parts of what we've been doing, but that was kind of cool. <laughs> We've got a, a small but loyal following. Thanks to all those out there who were that week, those people. Yeah, so I thought when I was thinking through what we could talk about today, I was just like, man, that experience was so amazing. Having Michael and Lena there, having people there, and then just being vibing with the place. You know, Des's book just coming out and you sort of tracking the how many people were vibing with her and her energy mm-hmm. is so cool, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. I, uh, list- she's got the best energy of all time. She does. She does. I love that. I saw her come across the finish line. She was in her sports bra and just like waving at the crowds. Like, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. 225, 226 or whatever. 226. I can't remember exactly what she ran, but she was just like waving. Looked like she could be just jogging. Like she could just jog down the line and be like, well, yeah, not my day. And, and, and how, how an amazing performance to have not your day and run that fast, which Golly. 10 years ago would have been probably the first woman. Yeah. Easily. Uh, first American woman. I and mean that it's that course is so like you can be you can have an off day and still run really fast and you can PR and be 11th or 12th and it's just you know what? It's just such a bizarre course. You can be like Scott Fobble, the men's American men's yeah. winner who's been 7th for the last 3 years in a row running the exact same basic race yeah. even with different coaches i guess he's had two different in that time frame he's had two different coaches but you know i kind of i'm kind of if i mean i i love scott fobble i do i love what he's doing but i wish he'd be 
I wish he'd go for it a little bit more. Yeah. But maybe he can't. You know, maybe that's yeah. just that's just what he's got. That's how he does it, or that's the best way for him to do it. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it works every single time. And then you see C.J. Albertson was like chill. Did you watch it at mm-hmm. all? C.J. Yeah, was yeah. chill for C.J. Yeah, still in that lead pack. Right. Um, but man, that race. Talking about the men's race, it was just purely and simply Ilya Kipchoge controlling the thing until. Chibet and company. Well, Gie, right? G E A Y. How do you say his name? I think it's Gay. Gay. Yeah. He just took over. He's just like I'm I think gonna... he sniffed it in the water. It's like he smelled. He mu- yeah, he, he smelled. Gil- he smelled that Kipchoge was well, suffering. Earlier, Kipchoge had been saying to other people, "You guys need to help me out here a little mm-hmm. bit." Which, when I saw him doing that, I was like, "The only time I've ever seen him talk to anybody was when he's talking to the rabbits to speed up." Right. Or. Yeah. There was a time six, eight marathons ago, the last guy he was running with before he left him, he was saying, you want to help me? And the right. guy was like, no. So he dropped him. Right. And when I saw him talking to people saying, you guys yeah, he was work, gesticulating. I was like, yeah. oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. I, Chink like, in the armor. <laughs> but um, yeah. it, it was like the men's race was wild. The women's race was... It's just the women's race was incredible watching. I I honestly, because of the way Kipchoge has run, I've not watched a lot of his races because Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, he's going to run two Oh something. And the next guy is going to be two minutes back. And, and so it's just, I'll follow it online, but I won't watch it. But watching Boston and New York, because they don't have rabbits, mm-hmm. it's always fun to watch. Yeah. Always. It is. And you never know who's going to be in the mix. There's always somebody a little bit different. Um, and Chabat, man, that guy's now, I mean, you got to say he's the current GOAT. He doesn't have the world record. And he doesn't have the sub two. But he won. I think he's the, I well, think he he's needs the, to run. He's the GOAT of races that don't have pacers. <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's probably... The leading because he's won two Bostons and a New York. Is that yeah. right? So um, we got to be thinking about him for the Olympics because yeah. if he runs the Olympics, he may not go to That's, the Olympics. Well, yeah, the, particularly the way Kenya selects, yeah. they, they leave brilliant athletes at home. All, well, a lot of people do, but Kenya is really Well, I heard that home. the Paris course is going to be challenging. So Ooh, that could be fun. I don't know if that's true or not. I, that was a rumor I heard, but I, I may be hearing wrongly, but um, which is why, I, and it's not got a pacer, which is why I think, you know, with what we saw from Emma Bates, we should all be pretty confident that she can be in the mix because she's obviously in 218, 219 shape, as she said. And mm-hmm. what she did on that course was only 10 seconds slower than what Shalane did. And she was, and that race didn't get going. You know, her race didn't get going till late and they were throwing sub- five tens and lots of them. And she didn't think she could go sub five ten from what I heard. And then all of a sudden she's there running with them. It was really cool. It was really cool to watch. Um, and it was a weird day weather-wise. Tell us about how the weather felt out there, Michael. Like what was the sensory experience? Um, you, you know, the elites have a little tent they can get under, mm-hmm. but the rest of you, the plebes, you guys are stuck out in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it for was, an hour plus. How long were you out there waiting? First of all, <laughs> the bus ride was so well organized. Yeah, they're they're badasses. It was, you know, getting out there with logistically how they kind of corral this stuff out was really impressive. Yeah. And when we got there, you know, I I thought it was going to be pretty pretty cold and 
but it wasn't. It was just kind of, it was a nice experience. I, I just, I found it to be very, very much running weather this year. Uh, I don't mind rain. In fact, I kind of enjoy it, especially if it's not prior to the race. So it didn't hit us prior to the start. Um, did you notice a headwind? I did not. Yeah, uh, I think was that, there one? Well, there was one for the leaders for sure. But I think that's just one of my theories. We were running that, in such a vortex of yeah, people. you had too many people around um, you that you don't really know it. We are definitely pushing air at that point, yeah, and you're sure. in you're in a sea. I mean, tens of, of thousands yeah. of bodies. I mean, it is without gaps for right. sure. I would say that there's a channel of air that's probably ten feet high that is like. <laughs> You know, pushing like you're a forward. big eighteen wheeler. So it's an extremely. You can see it. You can see the airstream mm-hmm. on the satellite. <laughs> yeah, we. Um, I had two trash bags, so that was my new move. Just two trash. I wore one as a skirt and one as a an upper, and I ripped that shit off and was ready to go. And old it was, school is new school. It was awesome, man. Like the weather was perfect out there. Um. Like, I, I really think it was perfect running weather. I mean, the, the good traction on the roads, even though it was wet, but I had good traction, and um, and it only started to rain really around 13, 14, a little bit. Like, I mean, it was enough to where it was like, all right, we're wet. Mm-hmm. But, and then it started to pour when I came in on mile 25. So the last mile and a half, we were there was yeah it was a deluge yeah i was at the finish line there it was Mm -hmm. just getting yeah i was soaked to the bone waiting for people to come through but that that ended up being a just a crazy experience so to finish in the rain with all those people there just going fucking crazy was awesome uh so yeah i I think it was a pretty good weather day for fast times actually i think it was Mm -hmm. not not well it's a good weather day for fast times but the course is not a fast time course so yeah true true so you're just stuck there kind of trying to figure out Mm -hmm. i mean it's really hard to get a pr at boston it's really hard to run a good race there because there's a lot of little problems going on throughout it that make it incredibly challenging to get right and um you know just a little bit of hubris makes you crash on the shoals right Mm -hmm. and a little bit of too conservative means that you've got too much left and maybe you try to fire through the hills or try to fire coming down the hill and then you may or may not have what you thought you were going to have so you're going to strike a match and then your matches are wet or whatever you know so it's just hard to get right and i think the best best approach for so many people is to to look at it like a long run where you're running a pretty we we call it a fast long run we we stole this from kipchoge and uh we stole it from uh uh, Canova, where you do a 90% run. I call it a fast long run. It's a training thing we do. Um, and I'm pretty convinced that if somebody wants to nail Boston and they're not entirely sure of the, of they've not run it three, four or five times and they're not sure of how to play it right. And they can't, and they don't want to just try to send it. Um, if you want to send it, you're going to have to run even splits and you, you're going to, you're going to have a really hard day if you don't get it right. But if you get it right, you'll be super happy and you'll be hanging on by a thread coming down the end of Commonwealth and then, you know, Hereford and then then Boylston will be, it'll be a challenge. You'll just be, but you'll hopefully be, you know, bleeding out of ears and hanging on. Mm -hmm. But if you do the 90% way, the fast long run way, I think you have a chance to kind of take advantage of the hills that I call the gauntlet and just sort of play through there, like play, have fun. Yeah. 
And then maybe you'll have some legs at the end, you know. But in, in either any way of that, there is there are no guarantees at Boston. And anybody that thinks that there is a guarantee, and I've been I've been guilty of this as a coach over and over again, having hubris about it, saying it's not that hard a course. I mean, I just don't. It's just I guess it's not that it's not hard or hard or not hard. From my understanding, is that it's just hard to get right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to say it. It's, yeah. It's not, it's fast if you do it, do it just right. And so there's like 5% of the population who are running Boston that are going to nail it that way. Yeah. Whereas if you run Chicago and you have a good weather day, you're going to get 25%. Yeah. That's just a big difference. That's a huge yeah. difference in my opinion. I mean, I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass. Yeah. But. yeah the, the elevation profile, I, I looked at it and um, going into the hills, there's like these four little surges and then you, they kind of flatten out. So, I'm, I mean, I, my distances are probably incredibly wrong, but the way that I conceptualized it was the hills actually felt great. <laughs> and I liked running up the hills after running down for so long. And it kind of felt like a relief to a certain extent. And then um, it was like little quarter mile surges, you know, flatten out, plateau, kind of quarter up quarter up, quarter up, and then down. So if you really look at the course, um, just just from its elevation profile alone, it becomes so interesting, so dynamic. Just the most dynamic run I think I could, you almost couldn't put together a cooler racing course. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I, I like flat and fast for sure for, you know, trying to get a time. That's it's awesome, whatever. But like this was like playing a video game. It is. And that's what to me was so special. And you, and, and about you don't it. get to relive. You had to wait a year before you can get, get your second life. Yeah, exactly. You want, <laughs> I want to play it again. I want to play it again so bad because you think like that immediately after you're just like, oh, I, was I too conservative out? Well, if, or was it just right? You know, or what, yeah. you know, how, how do you train for, you know, five miles of, surges you know like 70 yeah. percent of the way through the race and it becomes the coolest like training opportunity as well to kind of think about how you incorporate those workouts it is it's it. really hard I, I i heard uh emma say emma bates the woman who which by the way she got fifth in this race which means she's on the olympic team mm-hmm. she will represent the united states at the olympics there were some let's run fucking fools who were like bashing her for not going for it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't even know how you can even say that. You're obviously trolling, unbelievably trolling. Like, I, I don't get mad at that stuff usually because I'm like, whatever, I hear you laughing, John. It's like, they sucked him in. They sucked him in. The trolls got Sisson again. Dude, no, they, get me, they get me sometimes, man. I get so hot. I almost posted on there. It's like, you, why would I post on here? This is ridiculous. Do it. Fucking and then trolls. Steve throat, versus man. like a it's like these 15 year old runner. Right. Just you know, going hard. and he's like, just, and he's like, you know, what, is this what we expect from America? I'm like, oh my God, dude, that's what I, okay. I've been watching this race for 35, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I expect. <laughs> yeah. That to me is on par with Dez's win with Meb's win. You know what I mean? With yeah. Dez's second place finish that year, that year was amazing where you yeah. thought she was going to win it. Yeah. I mean, to me, what she did is she showed, and again, it's why I'm like lean towards that kind of performance over Fobble's performance, even though maybe Fobble has a kind of day that turns out to be amazing one of these days because of the way he does it. And who knows that between he and his coach, but it was just, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get right. Anyway, the point is Emma said, God, I digressed there. Sorry. Mm-hmm. She said, 
Joe and I, her coach Joe Bossart, is like, we do. We did a lot of fart licks. She said we did a lot of fart yeah. licks because we were getting ready for the way the Kenyans run it, the way the Africans run it. She said the way the Africans run it, but also because it just seems right for this course. And everybody that we checked with, they were like, yeah, it's kind of like a fart lick. You're constantly push and, pull, push, push, and pull. and pull, push and pull. And that's something I don't, I do a lot of pace changes with my stuff, but I don't do as much fart lick, which I think is something I might throw in there as Boston specific. Um, but the problem with doing fart lick is it's really inappropriate for any flat race course. Yeah. It's like the exact opposite thing you want to do. But I'm wondering then too, it's wonder why, wonder why that athletes have a hard time with CIM because it's so similar. CIM is yeah, like you, a jump, I, you like can a close jumper. your eyes. Yeah. My opinion on that is you can, you can, the first like 16 miles of this race feels like a carbon copy of CIM. Yes. It's hilarious. It almost, you, like, even, like, not the crowd support. The crowd support here in Boston was, like, insane. At but the halfway not, mark, you run through Wellesley and the Scream Tunnel. And, I mean, it's just, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's nutso. You can't so, even hear your feet on the ground. <laughs> but I found it to be extremely similar to the CIM course. It is, until 16. Yeah, mm-hmm. There's a little climbing in, in CIM that a lot of people don't rolling hills on recognize. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a couple little climbs right at 18 and 19. Mm -hmm. And then CIM flattens out and it turns into that mind fuck of like, oh my God, I see. And it's a little longer. Than, and, yeah. I see 98th Street and I see 85th Street. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, oh. Whereas Boston, there's like that's you're looking up for Sitco. You know, you're looking mm -hmm. up for the Sitco sign because you know there's a mile yeah. ago right there. It's like super cool. But also in Boston, there's strategy in the way that you can use the crowd oh, yeah. on the course. So part of the video game of Boston is that I'm thinking, man, I mean, you can almost, it's a gamble, but you can use the crowd for the, the last, at least the four miles, like mm. to just like carry you in and the milestone markers and kind of being able to, it pulls you into the finish mm -hmm. uh, probably a little more than anything I've ever experienced. And you guys didn't get the Fenway lift because the guys, mm -hmm. the, the team was in a late innings stretch with whoever they were playing. I don't know who they were playing oh, that day, yeah. but usually the game, the Sox games finishes as people are coming out That's at some cool. point in time, mm -hmm. not the, really the elites, but some of the others. And there'll be a huge lift coming through that section, mm -hmm. which is, you know, right there around a mile to go around that second side. There's a good number of people there. When I was walking down the course, it was a sizable chunk of people through there, but usually it's mayhem. Yeah. It's like craziness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John, what do you think it is about Boston that makes it so magical? Like yeah, what, well, what from mean, your perspective, what do you think? The, the history, right? Number one, 127 just the, years. Yes. Yeah. Just setting the foundation, the history, the mythology, all the runners throughout history who've run at Boston who are, you know, part of the mythology of running in general. Everybody from Tarzan Brown to Bill Rogers to Catherine Swift. I mean, there's all these wonderful stories that come out of it. The Kelly family. The Kelly family. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And... I thought that when I was a kid, I, I thought that stuff was really, really cool. You know, I, I don't know why that was just one of my things, but, and then it's because it, and still to this day, even though you can raise money and get into the race and things like that, I think it still has that 
hint of um, exclusivity. It's the Olympics for the everyman. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the layman's Olympics. And so there's that, which I think is, um, is something that is really cool because it's a really obtainable Olympics. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a really, really obtainable Olympics. And it's a parlance that is on par I mean, I've been a coach yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And when I walk out into the non-running world, I mean, I mean, some people are so, they're so clueless not to be disrespectful yeah. and they just don't know. I remember when I was in high school, people would be asking me if I was trying to make the Olympics. And I'm like, do you even know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was in my twenties, are you trying to make the Olympics? Do you even know what that means? And now in my thirties and forties, I'm realizing, oh, they just equate like, they, at my 30s and 40s, I was, oh, that there's, and then Boston was so overly, and everybody's like, oh, you qualify for Boston? That's was equal to being making yeah. an Olympic team in the yeah. minds of, and so that's really, to me, at, for, when I was younger, I was like, this is ridiculous. Well, I remember, but now it's cool. It may have been Moses, to, it was one of the Kenyans who won 20 years ago, or what it may have been Moses Tanui or somebody said that winning Boston at the time in Kenya was bigger than winning the Olympics. It's crazy. Because you get so much more money and all that kind of stuff. You know, you win Boston, you and it your family something. are set for life Yeah, over there. And you're a national hero. Yeah. Olympics too, but at to a lesser degree at the time. I don't know what it's like now, but I always thought that was really interesting because I would have, in my head, I would have flipped it. Yeah. But when, when you were on the course... On Monday, Michael, in uh, what you told me was ended up being sort of like a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in your head during the race, were you ever like cognizant of making an effort, or was it? Um. I'm not going to say that I didn't. I, I wanted to. It, He's flummoxed. Yeah, I, I I don't think that I I didn't go for it. Yeah. Whatever it is, right. like, I mean, I was probably I don't know, fifteen minutes off my yeah PR time, but that was a really, I mean, so I I think that I probably it wasn't my. It wasn't the best execution that I probably could have done, nor did I really train for the best execution. Uh, but somewhere around mile like seven, eight, nine, I I had a completely different experience. I, I it, it wasn't a typical running race for me, and I didn't go into it like a typical running race. Um, so I didn't run it for time. I ran it to. Um, I mean, if if I start unpacking this, it's probably going to take me down a weird road. Yeah, yeah, sweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, keep going. Okay, keep well, going. <laughs> well, to me, first of all, um, I, I I went to school in the Back Bay, and um, I lived on Marlboro Street and um, Mass Ave, which is kind of really adjacent to the Cambridge bridge. And I used to kind of come out and, and the Monday was like a day off of school. So we were, you know, smoking joints and cigarettes and having fun. It was like, it was, we, I mean, the Boston we were, experience. It was, it, you know, 
I was 20, 19, 20 years old, and I was probably irreverent to most things in life at that time. So my running journey, when it started, you know, probably, you know, eight or seven years after I saw the race for a few times those years living there, the first thing that popped into my head was you're running because you will run this race. And so my whole, the whole thing started as a, I need to get back to Boston and pay what I called my penance. And, um, so that was very, very real. And it was very much caught up in, in this, uh, experience. And, um, so when I, when I went out there, I, my goal was not time-based. I looked at my watch a little bit and I was like, hey, conservative going down the hills. And I was just trying to suppress all time goals whatsoever. I was going by perceived effort and feel because my, the main goal there was to, I would say every single mile I, I heard, I think it was Ryan Hall that said something like run the mile that you're in. Yeah, I think that run was the mile you're in run yeah. the mile you're in. And I kind of used that as a, as a mantra. So I had 26 opportunities to run exactly in that mile. And that's exactly what I did from start to finish each mile. I made sure to look at my watch, see which mile I'm in and really respect it. See what is mile one at Boston feel like? What is mile two? And I did this every single mile and it got emotional for me because I realized that when you really dissect the marathon like that into 26 little pieces, it becomes truly like an out-of-body experience and you're not in charge. It's a very much an objective kind of like third eye kind of experience, like right. an objective eye looking at you from behind and you're like, you're in this, you're a part of this thing. It's much bigger than you are. So just try and just try and understand where you are in the race. And that's, that's, that was my kind of, uh, delivery of that. But then it became so powerful and I became so engulfed in it that I just started asking the race. I mean, I don't know. I've been emotional about it. So I'm trying to like, just hold it all together. But like, you know, I was, I was literally asking for like forgiveness every mile. Yeah. Not because like I did anything wrong. Yeah. But like, you know, it's a powerful fucking sport. And this is like the Mecca. It'd be like the equivalent of playing the old course in St. Andrews with like all of the best amateur golfers on the planet. Right. It was fucking nuts. And, you know, so like to me, this was a cleansing experience. I mean, I am drained from it. This was, you know, and it wasn't a typical, let's just go qualify for Boston. You know, it was so much different than that. It was like, this course has so, it's so much bigger than us, what these people are doing, like the people were, you know, I, I know the townspeople of Boston. I know how hard that they work. There's pockets of consolidated wealth and then there's 
these beautiful people, you know, like these movies that portray Boston are very real. Like they are warm people, warm people can have cold dispositions in terms of like how they kind of like bust each other's chops and everything. But it is a warm, warm deep down. And you see these folks, these guys coming out of their houses with little American flags and just waving them on the side, just like they look at you like you've accomplished something so magical. Like, can you believe it? They're running in front of my house yeah, and they're going to come out there and spend their days off to, to, to pay you the ultimate respect in this journey. And to me that that separated the course from anything I've ever experienced was what they say it's the town support and the, the city support, but to feel that every step of the way was just like completely overwhelming, especially if you look at it from something that's much bigger and much older and much more, uh, purpose-driven than the act of just like running a race yep. so that being said you know I came through 25 and that's when it started to rain and I just I felt like I had nothing short of some type of just super spiritual experience I felt like like I call them the marathon gods but like if there is a marathon god I think that's where they sit and they convene and on that course it felt like you know there was something super special there and it felt like I was given like a second opportunity to not only kind of like become wiser and like have perspective on not just the city and growing up and becoming an adult or having perspective of some sort but this like the race actually gave me something and by the end of it if you respect it which I like to think that I did respect it. I just wanted to run a respectful race, like hard and not out of control. And just, and uh, when it started to rain, it just felt like it was, it was, it was maybe one of the closest things to, to like that kind of experience that I had since I did my Vipassana sitting. And so now it's just, I feel like I can move on. Like, I feel like now you, you know, running for, Anyway, that was that's my take. Like that's what I went through, and I think that you can find that in Boston. I think you can find that in everything that we do, in our work, in our jobs, and you know the way that we treat our outlook on life. And you know, it got me meditating again for sure. <laughs> you know, twice a day I've been meditating again, and um, and just uh, running the mile I'm in. That's it. That was my take. I mean, it was fucking beautiful. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that with that us. That was really, really good. We, uh, in our pre-race talk the night, the day before. Um, that helps so I much. I invoked the marathon gods. Mm-hmm. I said, John, I said, there's a, at every marathon, there are these powers. There's power in the number of people. Well, first of all, there's power in the concept of communal activity. Right that we all know. And then there's power in the communal activity that some hosts, as Michael said, the town, the townspeople 
honor the experience and decide to give their time, energy, and efforts to making something like that happen. So that happens in Berlin and Chicago and your local Austin. It happens in Des Moines. It happens in Indianapolis. It happens in all these places that these events happen. So there's something powerful there. Um, and then there's the people that are coming there to run it. They pay their penance. They pay their, they pay their, their alms to then worship in this venue. Um, and the gods, I think the God of each race is specific. I mm -hmm. think that, but I do think that at the end of the day, to me, Boston is the mother. She's the, yeah. She's the, she's, she's mother Mary. She's something else. There's the story. It is. It's the, it, and it's feminine. It's mm -hmm. not masculine. It's not. You're it's you're hundred percent on that. Feminine, one hundred percent, and it brings out that side of everybody watching, and it the uh, you know it just receives you. Mm -hmm. And if you bring in the attitude that Michael brought in, if you tap into that juice, so there's juice in every marathon that way. And all those gods are different. Some are male. Some are female. Some yeah. are tricksters. Some are some are trans. Like, some are they're all different. All of them are different. But this one is feminine. It's receptive, and it's asking you to come into its arms and surrender to what it, it what the race is what the marathon is this particular iteration of the marathon but what 26.2 miles really is to me it's like there's nothing and i haven't even done it i mean i've run portions of the course but i haven't run the race and this week this this on monday after i watched all these runners come across the finish line and it was pouring down rain and I must have been feeling what Michael was feeling at mile 25 because at about the same time, I also had an emotional experience where I watched if a thousand people passed by me, 999 did not have a smile on their face. Yeah. One maybe did, you know, maybe one in all that group did. Not that there was anything wrong with it, but I connected with the 999 and said, oh my God, that's what I'm missing. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm missing in my life this feast of suffering yeah. that they're, that they're there and they're reveling in it and they're coming out of it poured upon. I mean, I saw people who I thought were having seizures. One of my athletes, I was with him for a half hour after the race and he was seizing up from, you know, just the, the amount of effort it takes to run that race. And then getting poured on and rained on yeah. and it's freezing cold and you know how it feels. I mean, it could be 90 degrees and you might still be shaking at the yeah, end of a marathon. It can be hypothermic at 90 degrees. And it's just all that, all of those feels, just hit me and I'm like, you must change. Like, I don't know if you've ever read the Rilke poem. Um, something about the God Apollo or uh, something, the, the, the archaic torso of Apollo or something. The last line is, um, you must change your life. And that's just what I felt. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that the marathon was calling me, that marathon, that goddess, that was saying, hey, you need to be here yeah. soon. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I, I've almost told everybody. That was my, my thing. They were like, how did it go? And I was like, you're up next. And <laughs> so true. Some, some people not even runners. I'm just like, you're up next. I mean, it doesn't matter when you do it. And it doesn't matter even if you do it. But the belief that you could and likely should do it is extremely real. And as you said, John, it's doable. Yeah, it really, I mean. It's, it's doable. It's not, it's like, the obviously the marathon is a really, it's really hard. You don't mess around with it. But for people who have the, you know, not everybody can do it, granted that, but like with 
some consistency. If you, if you're someone who's already been a runner playing around with five Ks or 10 Ks with some consistency, it's not unreachable. You know what I mean? And all it really takes is the consistency. I think it like how, what you want to do with that consistency is, is up to you. But there's like, I remember sitting, my favorite place to watch the marathon was at the left turn from Hereford to Boylston. There's mm -hmm. on the outside, the apex of the oh corner, there's a, there's um, like a big electrical box. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's probably like, I had to, there's a fire so, station right yeah, there. And I would on, be across yeah. the street from that fire station. There's yeah. a big electrical box mm -hmm. phone thing there. And I'd kind of shimmy up this tree and sit on that. And so you're looking down on the people making that left turn. And it's, you know, That's that, left, you that, left turn, right that left turn is at the top of a little rise. Yep, yep it is. And a lot, you know, on the TV, you can't always tell if you're watching on TV, you cannot, you don't know that that's, it's not a flat section. <laughs> and so you see these people coming up and it's not a, it's not a steep hill, but it just comes at a really inopportune place, I guess. Well, they'd also gotten softened by the, the, the heartless one before it. Yeah. No, the one that goes under the, oh, the, the under path. the bridge. Yeah, that's right. a little, underpass. <laughs> that's yeah. a little that's a little, that's a bump. <laughs> but, and then the, when they like people. You see, you'll see people and like people in the wheelchairs, they're really working to just get up this rise and people, I mean, it's so loud there, so loud. And then they make the turn and you can almost see like a shit. They're like, you know, they're getting up this hill. Sometimes they're like grimacing and then they make the turn and you can just see it go. You're like holy shit because that last stretch it's like the cool thing about that stretch too is that you see the lights first yeah you, don't, you can't quite tell that it's the finish line right. for about a block and you know it's that you you know it what it is yep. but like these lights were just like it was almost like the et mothership <laughs> it was like what the fuck is it's this? it's just the, it's the and they let you go long enough to enjoy it yeah down that stretch on Boylston, yeah, it's like just it's long it's, enough to be like, oh, now, now I know not to rush this. That's the irony is like not to rush it, but to rush it. Like yeah. it's it that to me is the complex set of emotions is don't yeah. don't rush the experience, but yeah. that's kind of the point. It's a foot race, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, don't maybe it's like make sure to enjoy it while you're, you know, like that to, it's crazy, like. It, it, I, you know, the, the physical act itself is enough to be life changing. Right. But then I think what you like, what you, what you have to go through during that physical experience, mm -hmm. the, you know, however many months you're going to train getting up to it and everything, the, the ups and downs the, mentally, emotionally, um, I think are on everything comes together on marathon day and then it itself is sort of set up to be a spiritual experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like you're, 
because it's like preparing for a play for months and months and months and months and months, except it's a physical play, right? It's not just reciting lines also and knowing where you're supposed to be and how you're going to mm -hmm. emote. It's like you have to be engaged for a number of hours in a way that most people just never do. And I th there's something about that extended physical, you know, people call it like having really good endurance, but that extended physical and mental engagement that I, th if you do it, it's life-changing, period. It doesn't matter if you PR or anything like that, but getting from A to B in a marathon, whatever, whatever it is about that distance, you, I, I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who, like even people who are one and done marathoners. Nobody ever was like that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anybody say that. It's, um, it's an altered state of consciousness. Yeah, it yeah. has to. It there has to be some sort of like connection. And the marathon with is the it? duration of the effort. There has to be something. And the marathon like is an epic. It's an epic dose. Yeah. It's like you, it's like Terrence McKenna's five ounces in a dark room when people talk about doing psilocybin. You're you're the marathon is that. Yeah. It, it you have to prepare for it. Set and setting is all part of what you're doing when you're training for it. If you don't, you're not gonna make it to the finish line. Yeah. So you have to take it seriously. And then you go into this place that you know is gonna be suffering and you don't have no idea what's gonna happen when you come out the back end. And yet you're looking for some kind of answer from the experience, right? No one well, yeah. I mean, at least the times I've done it, it's been about a serious exploration right sure and then you're talking about the marathon being i'm supposed to get to a finish but it's exactly what you two guys are talking about the thing about it is process and this is what boston does differently from everything else it's like yes there's a finish line you were alluding to this michael it's a foot race but it's asking you to be present in the moment mm -hmm. every mile wasn't a mile to get through it was a mile to experience at a deep level and in essence it's like 27 steps 26 miles and then that last quarter yeah. and that last quarter you guys are talking it's a little longer than a quarter but i think you're right michael like that quarter mile the last quarter mile you're already on boylston yeah and you're finally getting it yeah like the like the finish of the marathon when it finishes in the olympics in an in an in a stadium stadium yeah and there's that feeling where you're just like whoa or perry rubeau i just watched perry rubeau the yeah, other yeah, day yeah. and they finish on that on, on the velodrome and yeah. you're just like okay, what's this? But it's like, there's something about it that channels all of whatever that altered state of consciousness is in into a stadium where you're like, and the sound is that way and everything, and you're gone, you're not there. You've commu you're communing with that God yeah. or that God or whatever it is, whatever that energy is you're, you're plugged into and you're with. It's amazing. You know, I'm not arguing for people to, I'm not arguing for psychedelics in this description, but it is the only other thing that I've experienced, not Boston, but my marathoning is nothing else like it. It's its own unique form of consciousness. And the reason why I go to it all the time is because it provides that resource that you can't get any other way. Long sitting meditation does not get me there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing else gets, it takes the human body, the metabolizing, the metabolization of whatever, like Michael was saying, he was, he was paying penance. He was, he was alchemizing his life through 27 steps, 26 right. miles and a finish. It's like, there's nothing like it. And Boston is the, 
the epitome of the place to do that. And it's what makes it so magical. It's what makes it so resonant. And yeah. the fact that everyone gets it. If I go to, if I walk into the grocery store down here and I ask somebody, what's Boston? Oh yeah, that's a marathon. Everybody runs it. it just happened. Like they know. Yeah. I mean, you can't, if I say what's Perry Rebeau, they're like, I have no idea I what that to- is. Iron Man, you don't necessarily know if anybody knows what Iron Man mm-hmm. Kona is. You can't say Kona, they'll just be like, that's a, you know what I mean? If you say Boston, yeah. a lot of people are going to think of the marathon before they think of, and unfortunately there was a, you know, an incredible, incredibly tragic situation that's brought it to more and more people's attention with the bombing. Yeah. But still, it's, there's something there, even that, even that's been alchemized into something beautiful. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's like, and I do think that goddess, it's like, the, it's like Mary, the mother, whatever that is, that deep resonant goddess that is connect, that we connect to in some deep way. Mm-hmm. It's there. And also, yeah. I, I think that there's something, it's not a PSA, but it's definitely something I went through that I'll share as well, which is before I got to experience it a few years ago when, you know, Maybe COVID happened and um, I got deferred. You know, I didn't race it that year. We didn't get to race it. did I. missed that too. That was, yeah. that was my one day. I was going to go do it. I yeah. was going to go get it done and it didn't happen. Right. So it was easy for me to kind of draw up these negative thoughts about it. And some people might put this into the overhyped category, like the Boston is overhyped category and stuff like this. But I have been in these like periods of time where I was thinking, why does every marathon have to be just to filter into Boston? Same. I, I, I'm with you hundred percent, you know, and, and I, and I got into those loops and I meet some, you know, elites or sub elites that are like, you know, it's not a bit, it's overhyped. It's not a fast course, all this. And it's like, okay, you can get in these trains of thought. It's like, you know, the, the, the thing that I want to let everybody know is that <laughs> All signs point to Boston, I believe, for a reason that is, you can't quite explain it, but but it is kind of like, probably because it is the equivalent of the Olympics for the everyman, you know, and and it feels, and it, and it felt like that. So I was just, I thought, I was compelled to just say clearly that before you think that another race is just a filter into this this thing um it's there for a reason and it is a fun reason if you embrace it it's a fun it's a fun way to look at a race you know i used to think like cim is it's twofold it's for people to otq (laughs) where everybody goes and they feed off of the otq energy and it's for people to go qualify for boston and and i used to think like CIM selling itself short. It's a great race. That should be its own race. You know, why do they have to treat that as just this thing to do these things? And um, I think that it is honorable that these races are there to provide that type of qualifying, that allure, that mystique. And I think that, and I, I do think that um, that it's appropriate to think that way. Uh, I think Boston's earned its way into becoming that race i don't know what you think about that steve but i've just i've had negative feedback loops about it at various points in time and i'm glad that i have come out on the back end of that so if anybody ever says anything negative about it i'm I'm just going to kindly ask them to think (laughs) think a little bit twice about it or try it before you try it before you want to return it right (laughs) kind of an idea well it's their ultimately from what you just described it's their loss 
I think so. And too. when I it's, did it that way, yeah. it was my loss. So I have two thoughts on this, and I'll, I'll use examples. Um, not not. I'll use one specific example and one general example. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last twenty years, I have been helping people get qualified for this race. That's a long time. That's my primary objective, not not mine, but the one that people hire me for mm-hmm. is to get qualified for Boston, primarily. Yep. They want to get a PR, but eventually they want to get to Boston. And I had a I had a lot of folks who. Um, a good number of folks who every year they tried one, two, three times in a year to get qualified. They were going to courses that were all downhill to try to get that done. They were doing, and I remember because I had been working with elites for so long um, that I did the same, Michael. I just sort of, in some sense, disrespected and dishonored their, their fight. Mm Mm-hmm their desire to connect with that powerful, resonant, deep energy, and they couldn't get it anywhere else, and they've tried. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are a little older. You know, they're in their 30s, mid-30s, 40s, and they're in that place where life is starting to have some sort of, it's both becoming more meaningful and less meaningful at the same time because they're crossing thresholds, you know, thresholds of children aging up, thresholds of retirement or thinking about it, thresholds, thresholds of why am I even out here? And at that time, they picked this particular thing and they honored me with their guide mm-hmm. and I dishonored them. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I belittled their experience, never to their face because I always honored their individual efforts, but I, uh, I dishonored the mother. Yeah. In a way that I feel deeply ashamed of now. And yep. maybe that's my penance. Maybe that's why I got to go one, two. I got to go do one, two, eight. It's so crazy, right? I have to go do one, two, eight because I disrespected it. And it shit, it told me. And I saw I saw these people come through, whether they're tears or just rain. They're just there. And I'm like, I honor you. I I honored you in 25, in, in two, when I, you know, in 2022. 2020 when I was supposed to be here but I didn't get here and then I dishonored you again by not trying to show back up and I got grumpy because they pushed it to, to that fall race and I got yeah. really vocal about that and I'm like me too this is bullshit yeah I got you a can't little, do mm-hmm. that and then I'm disrespecting the qualifying like, standards are and, like you're just playing with our minds and, and who the fuck are we yeah I know Michael, like, I don't know anybody from the BAA like why <laughs> did I ever have an opinion about right. that it's just like so inappropriate I stand to be like you don't know how to run a qualifying race how dare you guys and i stand here i was like what why would i ever think that i sit here humbled yeah me by too. my me too. ridiculousness and my hubris <laughs> and i i and i cannot ask for anyone's forgiveness i just have to go back to the source and honor the source right i agree so i have another yeah. story though there's a guy that i've been working with for two or three years his name's eric he grew up um in the boston area and his, he and his family have been coming out to the Boston Marathon to watch it over and over again um, since he was a little kid. Um, he only started running about seven or eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow he found his way um, through strange interconnections to, to uh, serendipitous and or um, synchronistic circumstance, found himself to me as a coach. Um, and then... Uh, he's been building slowly but surely since then to try to be there for this race. Mm-hmm. And he qualified this past year and he was there. And in his preparation, he became a student of the race. He read every book he could find. He soaked in the entirety of the experience. He read 
um, the the new book that about Bill Squires. He read old books. He read everything he could find on the Boston Marathon. He was a sponge, um, and I I through watching him and his single minded focus. He asked me at one point. He was like, "Am I making a mistake by putting all my eggs in this basket?" And I said, "What eggs? Like you've done." There, there are no eggs. This is just what you, you've been thinking about this for 20, for so long. Yes, you're not putting all your eggs in a basket. You're going for it. You're doing it. You're making it happen. And his experience of the race, because I have woken up and I do recognize the power of Boston, we just continuously fed into that. He did, when, he did what we talked about the other day. He, he lives in Seattle. He works at, for an airline. He flew, his parents are out in Boston area. He flew out there twice to run up and over heartbreak hill multiple times he found a hill in seattle to mimic heartbreak hill ran up and down it and up oh, and down it, constantly awesome. doing work to get ready for the race honoring the race itself and on race day i think he ran 302 you know he ran 257 i think 258 to get qualified he ran 302 and he told me afterwards he's like it's the single most single one of the single greatest experiences of my entire life Mm-hmm. to have finished this race and to have been a part of this race and to have done it. And he just echoing what Michael just experienced in a way that you're like, I'm just humbled. So I, I'm humbled on two sides. I'm humbled by those who, who honored it in no way of understanding it, except it just resonates at some deep level that this is what forward momentum is. This is what meaning is. And then the other side, which says, yeah, I'm going to probably put every single thing I have into this event for, for better or for worse. Yeah. And I'm going to sacrifice myself to this. And then it repaid him in an incredible experience. It repaid Michael in an incredible experience. It, re- it, it repaid Lena. We heard her this mm-hmm. morning as we got here. She decided to just run it as a long run and have some fun and enjoy it. And she just said, oh, my God, it was so amazing. It's like it doesn't matter how you approach it, whether you go for it or you or you back out or you, you do it however way you want to. It doesn't really matter. Yep. You're going to get something out of it if you honor it. And um, it's just... So those are my thoughts about how I view um, this as a, you know, I, I call those miles through Newton the gauntlet because to me, it's like what it's all about. I mean, I mentioned the feast of suffering. I think that's what marathoning is all about. That's what you're talking about, John. It's like that altered state of consciousness that occurs because it gets really hard after an hour and a half. Yeah, It goes into a different space and then it's going to hurt through the Newton Hills for sure. And it's like, it's just gonna, one way or another, it's gonna clean you out. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna extract everything you got. And you might be able to do something off the back end like Evans Chibet. Yeah. And you might be able to rock and roll and you might be able to kick again like Helen O'Beary. But ultimately, you're not gonna come out unscathed. It's going to, it is going to require you to change your life yeah. to be ready for that. It's just amazing. Well, is it, was it, Frank Shorter, who said the marathon will humble you, or was it Bill Rutt? Somebody said, and I've always, like, you can have, you know, sort of not unlike Kipchoge had, you could have 10 what you consider perfect marathons in a row. And I've PR'd every time, and I've, you know, you, and then you can have a disaster of catastrophic levels, and then it changes, you know what I mean? Or you can have... You know, you can strike out periodically. You think you're never going to reach your goal. And then one day you just have this magical 
experience. And the marathon is so is so much a concentrated um, metaphor for living your life, right? It's living your life in one single day in a lot of ways. Um, again, I think it, I think it's something about the duration of the effort that I don't know if there's like a chemical change or something. Well, but, there is. We shift from glycogen burning well, to fat burning, which people don't really, especially men have this crossroads there because they're not good at burning. They're not good at using right. that fat fuel as fuel. You know, we're kind of getting into the minutia here, but there really is a significant, there is the, that's why the marathon is so special. Yeah. Like you, it's eight, you can get to, you can get to 30 K unscathed. I call it, I say the marathon always wins. Yeah. Like you cannot beat it. Yeah. Do you know what's really cool for me? Kip Chogi said he's coming back. Yeah. I mean, I he knew, was I unequivocal knew. about it. He's like, I'll be back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that? That was my first thought. I was like, he'll be back. Yeah. He'll be <laughs> awesome. That was also the first time when I watched his press conference. I, uh, I didn't watch it live, but I watched it, you know, ex post facto. That's the first time I've ever seen him be sort of testy with uh, the reporters. He's always been very sort of zen and gracious. So and what did he do? I missed that. What did he say? He what just, was it was just... Uh, his, just his energy? Yeah, his. I mean, and there were times when he, it was really obvious that he was not happy with the questions. Or he was like, why would you even ask me? You know, but it was, it was the first time I've ever seen that energy from him. And I thought that was really weird. I, it was... It like really the kind Zen of, master Yoda. The, yeah, it was. <laughs> he showed like the human side of him because, in a way, you can look at him as almost robotic, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, everything from the way he runs mechanically—he's so beautiful, rhythmic—to the you know the the stories we hear about him, you know, cleaning the toilet. He lives this sort of Zen lifestyle, this ascetic lifestyle, and um, I. Like after I saw him kind of be a little bit cranky, I was like, all right. Cause I, I don't want to say I was burnt out on him, but I always want to see challenges. And I, I like the racing aspect more than the time trialing part of it. Not to denigrate anything, you know, he's done or anything, but it, that I now I'm kind of rooting for him again because mm -hmm. you got to see the cracks. In my community, we had a little, little, a little this so we had a little argument well i was arguing with one of my athletes about he's like it's because it's because he can't handle the hills and i'm like i don't think it's that he can't handle the hills i think he just can't handle the i don't think he does well at 45 degrees and rain and, rainy. and he yeah. did he had that problem in berlin or london london, london that one that's where he lost but i do think ultimately there is something to my athlete it is arik who told who said this i do think there's some argument to what he's saying which is less that he couldn't handle the hills and more like he didn't respect the uniqueness of that course you know they've got that route in kenya that he trains on all the time they call boston which yeah. is you know thousands of kenyan men and women have right. trained on that course and it's evidently a really good simulation for what goes on and many people have used it effectively and you know all the different groups run on it right. it's not just one the specialized route for one person right like one group it's been right. there for a long time but even that fails to really tap into the energy that Michael's talking about that deep. And, and this is Kipchoge's message. 
You know, what's part of his message? So one part of his message is like, I, I loved it that he said, um, right before the race, he said, let's get every American to run. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude's not, I mean, who says that? Yeah. I mean, who has the, who has the, like, let's get every, I mean, doesn't even care that it sounds ridiculous. Like it's not, doesn't sound ridiculous to him. Let's just get everybody to run. He's such an evangelist, but even he failed to recognize, I don't, let's not say failed. Even he was then brought to his knees Mm -hmm. by the special character that Boston brings, you know? Um, I think it made it even have more allure that it would, it would challenge the goat to to you know give us a dynamic yeah. race when going into it i was like oh well we're, we're about to see a show he's gonna put on another show yeah but it was i like the humanity yeah. and the humble experience that like it can i think he's now a part of the boston history and I think that he contribute to the Boston history, especially if he goes back. And, Let's hope he does. Yeah, I mean, come on with it. That's going to be amazing. To juxtapose that, though, Helen O'Beary, the women's winner, she didn't sign up for the race till two or three weeks out. Yeah. Like, she waited. She didn't know if they were going to do it. They were looking at some other things to do, and then they decided to do it. Now, I do think Dathan, having had his experiences on the Boston course, yeah. had a deep, abiding respect for yeah. Boston. Um, but still for her to have that experience and to run her race. I mean, I don't know how, you know, I don't, we don't really talk about elite athletes very often, but Helen O'Beary, people need to recognize you're watching someone who I think in the future we will call one of the, if not the greatest female distance runner in the world because of her range. I mean, Cross country track. Two years ago, Everything. less than four years ago, we were talking about her being, being a 1500 meter runner in the world, in the Olympic games and the world championships. And now she's a marathoner too, and she's going to come back down, probably, and run the ten at Worlds. And you're just like, wow! Like this is yep. we're seeing something special in that athlete, and to see her daughter there at the finish line. Yeah, that and, kind of range. I think when an athlete amazing. has that kind of range, you know, lots of people like Rod Dixon was a fifteen hundred meter runner. But he waited back in the till day. later. The, yeah, yeah, his his range evolved over the career. But when someone is doing like Oh, I won the Boston Marathon this year. Next year, I'm going to run the 10K on the track. I love that where they just like well, and I'm going to do this now, and you know, the, oh, cross country, why not? You and know, next that's week, the coolest this weekend, we have Sifan Hassan doing the same thing. Yeah, who literally at the World Championships or the Olympics did three, did the 15, the five, and the 10. <laughs> yeah. And she's running this, and she's running the marathon in London. Yeah. Like that's going to be crazy to see. Yeah. So, what? That's the other thing I think is so cool is we're watching a changeover, especially on the women's side. This is why the women's sport is so much more interesting to me than the men's. Right now, yeah, for it's sure. It's just there's just the the, the sure. quality and depth of of caliber we're seeing in the in the marathon event. The changeover, who's showing up, when they're showing up, how they're showing up, and the fact that they're ranging up and down the event scale. I mean. Helen O'Beary will run the, runs the world championships. Then she comes back and runs the 15 and then she runs the marathon and Sifan Hassan's doing basically the same thing. She's a little too slight to run cross country. So she doesn't yeah. do that much, but it was just to me, the, it, those who are fans of the sport, you should be watching women's distance running in the world at the world stage. It is, it is in its golden era. It is in the greatest performances we've ever seen. Like what we saw in the set, what I would think in the mid seventies on the men's side, what we're seeing now, you know, when, when I think of, uh, Bill Rogers, um, uh, Lasse Viren, Steve Prefontaine, uh, Frank Shorter, um, 
just those years, the like 72, 76, 80, those years where we saw the, the running boom happen. Right. On the men's side, that was just this golden era where things were just pretty amazing. Not that they aren't now, but it's just, it's not. Right. We've got these personalities, who's yeah. one or two offs. What we don't have is like, anybody can win the women's 1500. I mean, well, maybe not the women's 1500. That's pretty much sewn up, but... Anyway, I, I digress going into all this, but I just think it's it's just a golden era in Boston to see Helen show up there and and not disrespect the race, but just say, I respect it, but I also will take care of what I need to take care of and then do it after she, she supposedly failed at New York City. You know, yeah. I think that helped her running New York City, kind of like running CIM before Boston, like, oh, screw it up there. So you don't yeah. have to screw it up at Boston. Yeah. <laughs> But, well, well, she's she's a she's a uh, quintessential racer. She know? is, and she like after after she won, I went on YouTube and watched old videos of her, and, and she's just like she's uh, the type of runner you you don't see very often much anymore. People who just grinder grinders, you know, it ain't pretty. She dips her head. She moves her body. Her shoulders move too much. Every, she's moving all over everywhere. She's fart licking, going forward and back. She's she's it's it's not the most fluid and beautiful. When no. you watch Emma run, you're like, well, there's a marathoner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as no, soon as you see her moving, oh, yeah. you're like, whoa, that's a marathoner right there. Yeah, you know? Emma is like almost just sort of floating on the screen over here on the right, and then over here, Obiri was just. She's all, you know, it's she a looks real like Zotopec. Yeah. She looks like, like Zotopec. Zotopec. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah. And that's, uh, again, that's the kind of course I think Obiri is just mentally and physically designed for. Yeah. You know what I mean? She, yeah, she is so much fun to watch. Man. Well, any last thoughts here, guys? Something you want to say to wrap it up? Michael, you got so, we, we got, you, you went deep with us today. You want to wrap this up in some kind of way that, um, feels appropriate or should we just drop it like it's hot and leave it? <laughs> I'll just say that this experience wouldn't be possible without great coaches. And I'm, I'm serious about that. And, and it was and it. And I appreciate what you both do. Y'all kind of paved the way to make sure that athletes like myself have the experience to do this healthy and safe and to be able to prepare for it and kind of parlay that culture forward. Um, and you know, I didn't, I, I've been my life, life on life's terms, kind of a thing. I got the opportunity to probably train about 10 weeks, uh, for this because that's all I really had at the time to, to really participate in. And, uh, I made sure to give that training time it started 10 weeks prior. So, I mean, it's been going on for years, but like this specific training block has been there. And, um, and I just think that that's important to note is that we can't do this without other people, without guides, without the, the proper storytelling. And, uh, for that, I'm grateful for you both. And I think that carrying this torch on is something that I hope to do with all the years that I spend running. Well, I'd love to take credit, but I can't help myself. So it's like natural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, or, or unnatural. Yeah. I don't know. What is it, John? No. Like, we are, we've been, well, we've been two guys standing out in a field for a very, very long time. <laughs> that's what it takes. Yeah. I, 
And I, re- I also realized that I could, anyway, I'll, when, we, when we get off of this, I, it's completely unrelated. I just realized it's 420 and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> hey, it's, it's still, it's still not 420 on 420. So you do have some time. Oh, <laughs> you can't honor it. You can't honor it. I don't think any of us are honoring it anymore. We're old world. Well, those of you out there, hopefully you did honor it because you won't get this till later. Or maybe it's better that you didn't. Who knows? <laughs> I find myself in a weird position where I'm both um, I- encouraging and discouraging. Yeah. Y'all, thanks for listening. Hopefully, you, uh, Thank you. you felt the juice. It was. Yeah, that was really good. That was cathartic for me. Yeah. That was good. Thank you. How are you feeling physically, Michael? I feel, well, I went to, I went to the uh, hot tub this morning. Mm. I love getting, like, hitting my legs with those those jets, yeah. just not running for a day or two. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. You should come. So I feel good now. Come out to the house and any, I'll unlock the back gate and you can come in and I don't, I never get in the hot tub. Y'all have so, one? Mm-hmm. Man. Do you guys remember the uh, Eddie Murphy skit? Hot tub, <laughs> too hot. It's too hot for the hot tub. <laughs> he's like J- James Brown and, yeah. and my and, and he's a hot tub. <laughs> yeah, man. It's that's. <laughs> I listened to. You um, can still you can still quote that one. Some of his yeah. other stuff you can't. I, yeah, exactly. I, I streamed one of his albums. From, it was an early 80s album on the comedy album. And like immediately the first thing was like, there's no way I could no. play this for the kids. Or Eddie Murphy Raw. You should rewatch that yeah. movie. That movie is yep. epic, but canceled. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's outdated. It's canceled. <laughs> it did not age well. <laughs> but at the time, man, it was unbelievable. That oh, was man. Crazy. It was the coolest. It was like an indoctrination in an entire culture and experience that I had never been in before, but that he was uh, unabashedly throwing in your face, but also recognizing it's okay. Yeah. Dance like a white guy, you know, like his little white guy dance. 
and you're like, that's, yeah, that's how I dance. <laughs> he knows me. Yeah, exactly. Sure, he knows my people and what they've done. And he's basically making fun of me, and it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, but Ivy said, yeah, we can't play any of that old Eddie Murphy for... The boys at least five years from now yeah. because because yeah. it is inappropriate for them because they yeah. cannot handle it no. mm-hmm. uh-uh. these these boys will let the boy watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's that thing that will ferrell how <laughs> much he's pounded down oh my god <laughs> let the boy watch <laughs> i forgot about that show he needs to learn I <laughs> like i learned that was amazing my daddy 